that's what's going on right now in the nutrition industry. And if you're not paranoid, you better watch your back because new innovation is going to catch up. All right, today's guest is the founder of the world-leading low-carb, high-fat nutrition company that supports endurance performance, S-Fuels. My guest comes from a long history of healthcare professionals in his family, and he himself studied naturopathic medicine and computer science, and he has an entrepreneurial mindset. While training for triathlon and ultra-endurance events, he found that the market for fueling drinks and bars was just full of sugar and syrups and refined grains. And so with his nutrition background and his ultra endurance racing experience, he knew that he could create something better. So after many years of product development, S Fuels was born. S Fuels was developed with sports physiologist and world renowned coach Dr. Dan Plews, ultra marathon world record holder Zach Bitter, and Olympic triathlon medalist Hayden Wilde, and many other world-class endurance experts. I'm looking forward to this discussion about how we can optimize our fueling in training and racing and why S-Fuels was developed and just understand his journey from idea to marketplace. So it's an enormous honor and privilege to have him today. So welcome to the show, Leighton Phillips. How are you, mate? Hey, Greg. Good to talk to you. It's just awesome to uh, catch up. You were kind of one of those athletes that I, I was looking at on the front page of Triathlete Magazine when when we were both uh, that kind of age back in Australia. But just looking at the folks you've had on your show, it's just humbled to to be here, buddy. So th- thanks for having us on. Oh, thanks, mate. You're aging us both talking about magazine covers. I think <laughs> we're going back 20, 25 years now. Um, but look, where in the world are you chatting to me from? Yeah, we're in Raleigh in North Carolina. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. We've been here for, I guess, five years. And prior to that, we were in Hong Kong. Nice, nice. So it's another Aussie living abroad. But yeah. listen, mate, we um we were introduced by our good friend, Dr. Dan Plews, who's he's been oh. on this show numerous times. And I was just fascinated by your story, your your entrepreneurial mindset, and of course, the company you developed, S Fuels. So I kind of want to look at this episode where we where we might discuss a bit about your journey and then understanding kind of your entrepreneurial mindset. But then I also want to sort of break down, you know, why S Fuels and 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 discuss fueling for endurance sports, both in training and in racing. Sound good Sounds to you? Great. Yeah, yeah, awesome, great. awesome. Well, let's let's jump right in because there's a lot to cover. Um, let's start by you know rewinding the clock, as I love to say in the show. When did your passion for nutrition and sport and and all of that develop? I think Dad had a lot of influence. Um, his you know health background. He was in. He was a pathologist. Um, he would t- take us into the pathology area and show us the tissues and kind of try to point that that's something to do with bad diet. And this was like 40, 50 years ago. And as a kid, you'd kind of laugh it off. But um, he was also a Olympic trivia nut. And like <laughs> he would go to Europe and then he would, while he's there on holiday, he would just ring up Emil Zatopak for a chat. Get out. So, no so, <laughs> so it was, it was this kind of like, anyway, he would, he would take us to the track when I still remember, I would have been five or six years old and dad would take us to the track and he'd have his chrome stopwatch and he'd do timed intervals. And I just feel like, you know, that, and then as I got into 10 or 11, 12, he took me to my first naturopathic kind of conference, which was one of the godfathers, a guy called Bernard Jensen, who was out of California and he mm. was in Australia. And mm. I think that's where it all began. There's just that background, uh, Greg. I've, Emil Zadepec, are you kidding me? Did yeah. he actually connect with him? Oh, yeah. No, he, he sat on the phone for an hour and they chatted about, you know, obviously just uh, just an incredible range of performance uh, with oh. Emil. Uh, that, that's what dad was double clicking on, just the impressiveness of that range. So, Just in yeah. case listeners don't know Emil Zadepec, he won the five, the 10 and the marathon in the one Olympics. Was it the yeah. 52 Olympics? What was it? I was going to say it was either Mexico or somewhere around that. It wasn't um, Melbourne, which was 56. Yeah. Anyway, somebody can tell me. Somebody will write in and tell me. I'm sure my dad will tell you. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. I just think that's fascinating that, you know, you have that kind of background where where obviously sport is a big focus for the family, but then you're looking at uh, naturopathic medicine as well, which honestly 30, 40 years ago is still a bit woo-woo, right? I mean, yeah. did you grow up with that kind of natural medicine 
in your family? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, there's that, there's this whole kind of, I would say, um, gradient, naturopathic medicine, chiropractic, osteopathic medicine is very kind of closely related and um, just mm-hmm. a long lineage of chiropractic in our family. Um, mm-hmm. The first chiropractors of New Zealand were from our family and um, it kind of grew from there, I guess. And yeah, I went and studied that for six years in Australia and practiced for several years and just a lot of, I guess, major focus on kind of the relationship between gut health and systemic health. And back then, words like microbiome and all that kind of stuff were just not, never even invented at that point. So I felt like at the point we studied it, it was like um, the empirical observations in clinical practice were ahead of the science. Yeah, right, right, right. right. It hadn't been backed up, but there was a gut instinct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so did you end up, you know, when you, when you left school, was it always a focus to go into that? Or, I, mean, I mean, I read in the introduction, you, you have the computer science degree, yeah. but you also have the natu- naturopathic medicine. Um, you, so were yeah, you conflicted I, which way to go or what was that about? Well, actually, no, I wanted to go just all in naturopathic medicine. I think dad and his wisdom just like at the point, like you just said, it was still a fragile and probably truly mm. an alternate form of science. Mm. And, um, you know, so, and, and at the time too, uh, technology was just a, in the, in the spirit of like personal technology it was still, uh, forthcoming. So he kind of put me on that route. And I think that's kind of, you know, created a living of which then I went and studied naturopathic medicine after and practiced after, but, it's probably the tech industry that's giving the funding to underwrite my, my, you know, my wife leads the, the general management of S fuels. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good, I think I couldn't question what the guidance dad gave me at the time. I felt like, no, nah, I want to go all in on the other, but, uh, you know, it makes sense. Guidance. Were you always an athlete? Were you always, you know, was triathlon and running was, was that in your yeah. blood throughout that whole time? Look, I, I state title level kind of swimmer through primary school, got into track and cross country at high school, went to state titles, kind of that level again. Um, and then it was in probably the last three years of high school that I got introduced to triathlon. And because I had the swimming running, I just had to learn how to ride a bike. And mm-hmm. it wasn't pretty, but... Um, you know, I, I loved beating Miles Stewart out of the water. Um, <laughs> you know, I need to be, I need to be smacked on the bike, um, but I, I could run a good finish of the race. Kind yeah. of oh, I love that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know if that's a big deal to beat Miles Stewart out of the water. Everybody did that, didn't they? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he and his dad were based down there on the Gold Coast, yeah. and I was in Brisbane. And you know, we didn't have a lot of relationship. I was training with a Brisbane crew, but we certainly raced together, and he was pretty much one of the, the more leading athletes of the time. So were you around uh, when guys like Andrew Johns was in Brisbane and, and Chris Hill? You know, they yeah, all came out of Brisbane, um, right? Yeah, that was uh, Craig Maskill yeah. and uh, these guys. And I, I did a lot of training with them. We went to the same high school. Mm. So yeah, that was just, I think, a strong, I would say, cross-country in the winter, swimming in the summer kind of group. And then we triathlon. Because triathlon still then was, there wasn't a lot of races around, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love that. And when did this sort of mindset to entrepreneurial type work kick in? Was it while you're in the tech industry? Were you building companies in tech? We were uh, building products, certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that was both wireless technologies and mobile computing technologies and what have you. I've always had a very curious mind, love to frontier, um, like untested areas and um, the, the question of what's possible, I guess. Uh, outperforming incumbents, these kind of things attracts me to, like it energizes me. And um, I, I guess I put all of that over this kind of denominator of naturopathic medicine. And I felt like, where do these fuse? I wouldn't say I went out looking for it. I felt like it really came together later in life um, when mm. we were in Hong Kong, to be honest, when I was doing a bunch of ultra running. Yeah, right. And you were studying, why is that when you kind of, uh, you know, studying your naturopathic medicine. No, I, was, I studied, uh, what is that? Um, you tested me 89 to 96, I think it was on 1990 to 96, I think it was. And then where it really came together for me to think there's a market gap here. And, uh, I had conviction that the way that things were being approached, that there was plenty of opportunity for innovation. And there mm. still is quite frankly. Um, mm. 
And that would be like uh, 20, I don't know, 15 years later. Yeah, right. And so yeah. when did it all come about? Let, let's fast forward a little bit. You know, you, you've culminated your love for sport, your entrepreneurial mindset, your love for nutrition and, you know, natural medicine. Um, you've obviously got the tech background. Did that all culminate in one, was there one moment where you were like, okay, I've yeah. got to start a company here? <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't say at first it was just out of the kind of a bolt from the sky of starting a company. Um, I was in Hong Kong. Uh, we there's a, there's a big trail running community. It's basically the number one sport in Hong Kong. <laughs> and um, I was getting this kind of uh, like, in like a, a four or five hour trail and, and it's, it's up and down Hong Kong, as you probably know, you're either up or down hmm. uh, four or five hours. It'd probably be 4,000 feet of climbing and you'd come back and fingers and feet and head would be swollen. And to the point where I had to start taking meds. And for a while I felt like I, I wasn't questioning that. And then it would be, I think three months later before I realized what am I doing? And, um, I really started double clicking on what's going on here. And at the time, I mean, I've always read um, research, medical research papers as like a, just a passion on the side, even though I wasn't practicing. Mm. And I stumbled into this kind of what Tim Noakes and um, what uh, Scott Volick and Steve Finney were starting to talk about low carbohydrate uh, and for me, it was nothing to do with performance, even though that's what they were, that how they were looking at it. I was looking at it from inflammatory load. And mm, mm. I just started testing myself um, on the trails with totally homemade things. And I really started noticing changes, you know, within weeks. So that's, that's where I felt like there's something here and I needed to do, you know, a lot more kind of research on this to work out whether really I had conviction in this. But that's where it, where it started, Greg. So, what year was that? How long ago was that now? So that was twenty um, sixteen. I did my first off season in trail running, uh, where I I stopped classic off the shelf, you know, heavy scented carb fueling, and even my diet was like we all grew up in the carb era, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. carbo parties, was, mate. Yeah, it was almost like a <laughs> a badge of honor that who could do the most pasta at Sizzler. It was kind of a proxy for your training. <laughs> and the cheesy work, bread you know? that goes with it. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, I it, I started testing back then um, in yeah 2016 period. I, I did three months work and then I started talking to some labs in the US. I got, I don't know, have you heard of this uh, race series called Racing the Planet? I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're quite, quite large now. They run four races in deserts around the world, the Antikama, Chile, Gobi, and the yep. Antarctic. It's a six day 250K race. The CEO of that, I got to know quite well. We did the race, but we got to know them also. But she really kind of mentored me on if you're going to do something, anything to do with food, you you probably don't want to manufacture that at this point in time in Hong Kong or China. And she really kind of guided me to you really want to develop that in the US. And that's kind of where we reached out to labs in California. Classic. And so you, you know, we I mentioned Dr. Dan Plews at the top of the show. Were you, did you, you knew Dan before all of this and were you guys working together on this or did you bring him on later? Um, no, we, we weren't together at that point. I was, we, de- <laughs> we developed firstly a bar product and it's kind of funny. We gave out, I don't know, 4,000 samples to a bunch of runners around the world, a lot in the US actually, but the best advice I got was from my kids, like totally, you know, it might sound a pun, non-sugar-coated, very direct feedback on our product. And that, and that was for, a, you know, a good year and a half. It took us 17 iterations to get two, wow. two seasons we had to go through because how you were fusing the ingredients on a product like this on how it would perform in the winter and the summer were very different. So we had to go through two seasons. Um and I mean, two yearly full seasons, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was really, so that was 2017 period. And then it was, you know, when Dan connected with us, he had been low carb, but kind of, again, self, self-creating mm-hmm. fuel. And he felt like, yeah, there's a gap and I'd love to talk to you. And we started chatting and 
you said about going after the world championship. Now, I thought at the time he just meant, yeah, I'm just going to go and compete. And then within about three weeks, I realized the guy's talking about winning the thing as an age grouper. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was kind of funny because the development we then worked on together, which is our training product, we mm-hmm. didn't – Bob Babbitt was the most insightful on this on calling us out and saying, you're probably the first – nutrition company I've ever seen that started with a training product before a racing product. And that lends itself to the nuance of what we're building in S fuels. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dan helped us build that training product. And that's what he went into the Kona world record performance um, in 2018 uh, using. That was an insane performance. I can't remember the exact time. Forgive me. I think it was eight eighteen or something, or whatever it was. Yeah, it was he did eight twenty four. Eight twenty four. I'm giving. I'm giving him six minutes. But I, I think you know he was. That was one of those where everybody stood up and took notice. Um, yeah. And then obviously we've watched the athletes that he's been training most recently, you know, Chelsea Sodaro and he's taken right. on Sam Long and Javier Gomez right. and, and his list goes on, um, Terenzo yep. Bazzoni before that. He, he's yep. got, and, and then his background obviously with all the other sports that he's worked with. Um, fascinating guy. And, and when I heard that you guys were connected and, and building this product, I, I just thought, you know what, I've got to have you on the show because I really want to dissect what this product is and what, how it came about. Um, so let's keep doing that. I, you mentioned your wife earlier. She's the GM. What was her background that, you know, you, the two of you were able to build this together? Yeah, she had 15 years at Nestle. Ah, and, yeah. yeah. And she was, she was on the executive at Nestle. In, in, and the great thing about these big companies, food tech or any of these companies is that you can have five careers in one company, right? So she had exposure from mergers and acquisitions to product development to um, you know sales and marketing. So the funny thing was though, Greg, was that when she was working at Nestle and then we had two boys and then she came back to working and then we, we started S-Fuels. But in that time was when the whole uh, digital marketing, social marketing happened. So her like actual education training was in marketing well, the history of marketing and what it was after we had the kids were like two totally two different, different things. things. Compl- yeah. And so changing so funny. quick. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. But I also, I love the fact that the two of you are able to build this company together. How is it working together? Yeah, I think um, our skills are very um, discreet in a sense. Um, she has just, a, just really solid um, operational management expertise mm. uh, for, for this kind of business it you know you're talking about fast moving consumer goods understanding the channel strategy distribution strategy it's really only now that that whole experience and drawing on that will be helpful like we've done a lot of work as a direct to consumer to really prove that the product stands on its own two feet mm. and just now with Bob Babbitt and some of the other folks that we're bringing on we're now getting into distribution well that's that's where her real you know background kicks in and mine has been more on the product development side and on obviously just the, the nutritional formulation side. Perfect. Um, but I think, honestly, um, like we've probably bought in between Dan Plews, Dave Scott, Bob, Zach Bitter Hayden, they've all bought in pieces of expertise that mm-hmm. you'll never have yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, So we just continue to try to surround ourselves with smartest people we can find. You know, I, I love there. that. And when, you, when you're looking at the, the marketplace right now of nutrition companies, you know, what, where are you seeing the gaps? Obviously, are there other low-carb nutrition products out there that aren't doing a very good job? Or, or you know, when, when you pulled the trigger to do this, you, you've obviously done some homework. Is, yeah. is this an area that you just really felt needed some work? And to your point, you said we wanted to focus on the training before we focus on the racing. Yeah. Um, is that how you kind of looked at it? Yeah, I think, um, so I, I had this quite overwhelming sense that there was actually not a big incentive for the industry to change because they were so vested in the sugar carbohydrate model that it was very hard to back out when your cash cow is so dependent on that. Yeah, And that's both a training and racing product uh, situation for pick your top five, you know, fueling companies. There absolutely has been uh, some attempts in the last, you know, five to eight years of low-carb products, but 
we felt like, again, you just, you don't have to be a rocket science. You just look at the social media kind of feedback on texture and taste. And we felt like we could do better. Mm. You know, it's a big market. There's plenty of opportunity to innovate. You know, take a company like Apple. What they do really well at is they're prepared to cannibalize their best product to create a better product. <laughs> Not many companies are um, up for that. Mm. Most companies will protect their cash cow at all costs to the point where future science can suggest another approach could be optimal, but they're so vested. And I felt like that's exactly what I was seeing here. And um, between Nicole's background and my background, I felt we could we could solve for this. And so when did you go, you know, you've, take me through the, the time period from going the idea through to, to marketplace. What, 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 when did you had that first idea in Hong Kong? How long yeah. and what was that process like? First product was a couple of years, couple of seasons. And even that, we had it on the market for six months and I pulled it off the market. Mm. And then 2018 uh, was the first fluid, like the train formula. Um, and that took uh, six to nine months to get that to market. So in two to three years. That's pretty quick, I would say. No? Yeah, for for it's, yeah. Uh, now looking back and looking from the outside in, it seems quick in terms of yeah. I, like but. it's kind of funny. Like um, it's a, like you look back and you kick yourself so hard for making all these mistakes, right? Um, but I think every mistake is just an opportunity to bank learning that mm, mm. that um, tribal knowledge. Uh, is so is so, so it is the IP. Like you can go and formally put patents and IP and all that stuff. That that is really hard to police and protect. But the tribal knowledge you learn in a company of what works and what doesn't, that's the gold. Mm. And you got to keep that pretty close to your chest. Mm. I love that. And you talk about some of the lessons you've learned. What have what have been some of the the, the low experiences of this and what have been some of the highs? You know, I think for a lot, whether it's sport or whether it's uh, business, I think we probably get a little too caught up in the finish line. Like we have this vision that <laughs> the finish line is going to satisfy the heart. And I, I feel like so many times, like I remember this um, this race in the Racing the Planet race in, it was on the border of Vietnam and China. And they actually, after six days, they actually missed my finish my finish of the whole race on a photo. And, but I, you know what? I wouldn't trade that photo for probably I've got a hundred photos of running through the tribes and the people and the culture and, and the scenery and the foods of that part of the, of the countryside. And I feel like in business or in sport, if, if you're not like just really mesmerized by that experience of getting to the finish line, mm. you're probably going to be disappointed when you get there because it's so such a small slither of the total experience, the finish line. Oh, it's so well said, mate. I love that. And it's like uh, people that have listened to this show will often hear me say, look, it's about the process and, and the journey far more than the destination. And, uh, you know, my, on my personal one, I remember going into the 04 Olympics and I'd been injured, but for about eight weeks, Laura and I just trained together every single day and we had such purpose and we were just so yeah. intent every single day. And yeah, I went to the Olympics and my mindset, you know, I look back and there's a lot of things I could have done different. And I think yeah, I, I didn't understand the power of the mind at that point and I, I went in underconfident and that definitely co co you know, cost me a medal. But I look back and I think, I don't even remember the Olympics itself, right. but that eight to 10 weeks, specifically that journey that Laura and I did where she'd go up the road on the bike and I'd chase her down and we'd just, she was amazing and it made our relationship stronger, but it was also such a special journey, yeah. you know? I was just, um, I was listening to your Cameron Brown interview you did some time back and like he was a good friend of mine. I just congratulated mm -hmm. him the other day on his finish, his career. And he said the same on your show and I wasn't kind of looking for it. It just came up in the show and I said, well, there you go, right? It's very consistent. I We did this, um, uh, you probably heard of this Ultra Trail Mont Blanc UTMB race mm -hmm. in, um, it goes through three countries there in, in Europe. And there was a point there uh, in 2016, 125 kilometers in, you'd already done 8,000 um, meters of vertical ascent and you were, you come out of the forest. I was hallucinating 
and my family was at the aid station. And if it wasn't, I think, for them there to kind of bring me back to the purpose, it was nothing to do with racing. It was all to do with finishing Mm -hmm. that I never would have finished. So I just feel like, again, experiences and and wrapping friends and family around that experience is what's going to really kind of see you through. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's what's valuable to me looking backwards. Gosh, you're leaning into one of my favorite topics, by the way. I, I, I really enjoy these conversations of understanding why you're doing something, what's your purpose, and understanding the, the joy is in the journey. I'm a little bit taken aback by all of these amazing ultra events that you've done. You're talking to somebody that really specialized in Olympic distance triathlon and did a couple of Ironmans, but really that wasn't my forte. How many of these ultra events have you done? I think I've done um, maybe 600K. You had to do 300K races just to get into the, um, the barrel or the, what do you call it, the, the, the lottery <laughs> um, to get a, a choice, uh, get a show at UTMB. Um, so I think I've done 600, 100s. I may have done another that many 50s, a few 50 milers, and then the Racing the Planet was 250K. But the, all of those are like really um, heavy elevation. So they're not flat. Like Zach, Zach Bitter. uh, I always, I was just with him two weeks ago and we were on this Catalina Island. We sponsored a race there with Bob Babbitt and the folks there. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get Zach to like, you got to get into this kind of elevation trail running, but the guys are just a legend and a speed demon on the track doing a hundred mile. I think that'd drive me nuts. Yeah. But um, there's something magical about running through the night and through three countries and over all this elevation. It is just an awesome experience. I love that. Are you are you self experimenting with every product? Are you still doing these runs? Are you still and are you yeah. self experimenting with everything you you make? Yeah, we we do. I you know the 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 level of experimentation, of course, now is much broader and more structured than it was at the start. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I still absolutely do, and a lot of it is you would well know is that it's one thing for a product to feel good, taste good when you're sitting on a couch, but when you're six hours into a ride or a run, how that thing tastes and texture can be totally upside down. Oh, totally. So, um, you just want yeah. a beer and pretzels or yeah. <laughs> just anything else. <laughs> the, the, the bad news about that is there's no shortcut. You got to do the first five hours before you get into the kind of into the into the lab. <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah. Who are the guinea pigs? Who have we got now? Now your friends kind of disappear after about thirty k. You know. <laughs> yeah. A quick mini break to tell you about any question. The place where you can go. Ask world-leading experts questions and you can already look at a lot of their answers that they've already created. People like Dr. Dan Plews are already on there answering questions. We talk about Dr. Dan Plews in this episode. He's worked a lot with S-Fuels and Leighton Phillips. And so that's a great place if you are curious about S-Fuels, go ask Dr. Dan Plews some questions about it and see how it's impacted both his career as an athlete and also the athletes that he coaches. So go check it out. Any question, it's free. Go download it on iOS or Android, or you can go onto the web and you can find it there. That's anyquestion.com and you can use anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett. Go check it out. Cheers. S Fuels is a brand. You know, tell me, how did you come up with the name and, and, and how, how has that all been? You know, when we talk about why S Fuels, you've talked about having the inflammation in your, in your feet and everything when you've been doing these ultras, but why S Fuels um, specifically? Um, and then tell me a little bit about the brand itself. I think Nicole put the first company registration down as Spike Free Limited. And it actually was li- was registered in Hong Kong. Spike and Free, Spike yeah, Free, got it, yeah. We, we got this, uh, you know, again, we both had had a lot of marketing background, but apparently we were still no good at it. So we got <laughs> advice on this doesn't work. But the basis of it was, and the SF in S-Fuels was re- referring to our, our, still to this day, the basis of every product we look at, we look at the way in which it reacts to blood sugars Mm -hmm. and insulin because we're so interested in fat oxidation and substrate oxidation efficiency. Mm -hmm. So we were doing the classic, when you would go into a medical clinical environment today and they were to test you for prediabetes or diabetes, they would test you through a glucose tolerance, you know, fasting glucose tolerance test 
And that's how we would test our products. And we would see that when you take a product, when you're just doing no exercise, how, how does it react in the blood sugars? And um, that's where the genesis of the SF, it's, it's not San Francisco, it's not sugar-free. <laughs> um, it's about, we were trying to really minimize and mitigate how this thing would react in the body with blood sugars and insulin. Mm. And so that's where the S fuels is all about. So you've kept spike, but you, you took out the whole word and just went S fuels. I, I, I love the name actually. I think it resonates. I think it's, I think a lot of people are probably going, well, what's the S? We get the fuels, you know, <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? And I, I think my first thing was maybe it was sugar, but then I'm yeah. like, hang on, we don't want sugar fueling. That's not the point of this product, <laughs> but it's not no, easy. So it's kind of works in the spirit of people just ask the question. Yeah, exactly. And we have yeah. the opportunity to tell the story, right? Exactly. So, and, yeah. and then you sort of, when, when you first, uh, did Dan reach out to you? Did you mention that? Or did he, did you reach out to him originally to work? He, he has a, co- a recollection of me reaching out to him and I kind of think it was the opposite, but it, it, it was, it was both of us kind of, I was looking for, Hey, we have this, we have this idea. We'd done the bar. It wasn't good enough. We were tinkering with a fluid and we needed to start really testing it for validity in a, um, in a field test, meaning like a race. Mm-hmm. And that's when really we kind of stumbled with Dan. And honestly, he, like he would say himself that his whole professional platform really grew off the back of his result there in Kona. And I would say that S fuels really established, you know, where we're here to play on the back of what Dan did in Kona also. So we have a very close relationship. And when we went there to Kona and we were, you know, obviously behind Dan the whole way through the day, Dave Scott heard about us and his agency called us and said, hey, I've been with a nutrition company, like a much bigger nutrition company he came and had breakfast with us and then he wanted to join the company. And, you know, in, in the early parts of the company, I think Dave was a great mentor in a number of areas. So um, we've been very fortunate, uh, Greg. Well, when you look at, when you mention those names in the world of triathlon, when, you know, Dave Scott, I've, I've referred to him as the, the godfather of the sport. Uh, <laughs> you know, people want to talk about who's the greatest athlete of all time. And, you know, they love to throw names in there, but I almost put Dave above that. Yeah. And just say, no, no, he's, he's not in that conversation because he's above that. He's the godfather. He's the reason we have a sport. Definitely an aura there. Yeah, yeah there, there is, isn't it? For you and I, we're of similar age, growing up in the 80s with an early 90s with the sport, you know, Dave Scott was it along yeah. with Mark Allen. And so to have him right. on your team. And then you've got, we've talked a bit about Zach Bitter. Has he been a good person for you to, are these guys willing to experiment when you come up with new products? Are they willing to try things or does it affect their training too much? Oh, no, totally on, on the basis of their, I think they're tired of self-experimenting. They want to, you know, add some formality and structure and real science to it all. Mm. Um, mm. And, um, you know, we put a lot of athletes' numbers, meaning lab numbers, over Dan's race data. And we were like, firstly, just trying to get a sense for, we could predict and we got quite accurate when people would, hit the wall based on if they were to use their metabolic efficiency at Dan's race pace in Hawaii, what would happen? And when we started talking to Zach about this on the hundred mile side of things, you know, at the time he had just set the world record on the track for hundred miles, 11 hours plus. And then he, (laughs) COVID came along and shut all the racing down, of course. And then he was going to do a hundred mile world record on a treadmill and he was going to do it at the local, um, like, you know, gym. And I said, well, Hey, you know, we're living in the world of, of social media and have you, what if I bought, if you will, the media platform to your house and we got Nordic track to put two a treadmill so that there was a failover capability. Mm-hmm. And then we would broadcast that out. Yeah. And we had 35,000 people watching Zach set the world record for a hundred mile on the treadmill, um, which was, you know, sub seven minute miles for, you know, 12 hours plus. My and, goodness. um, he, that was, that was the first real race proof point of our racing product. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny how these things kind of come together, but yeah. Um, 
I'm just picturing running a hundred miles <laughs> with the two. Tra- I, I have my own stories of you know doing crazy things on treadmills, and I always had the second one, you know, next to it on the side because the other one, the first one you'd be on, would be covered in sweat and would get slippery. And so I used to like I'd keep keep it jump from one to the other just so I'd have a dry treadmill. But a hundred miles well, sub seven minute mile pace. Well, it's funny mind. you say that because you know like we realized during the day and within the first 30 minutes, and this is going to be a 12 hour plus day in the first 30 minutes, the house power was not set up well to run these two treadmills. <laughs> and what once, you know, what would happen is one would fail and we had to, he had to immediately jump to the next one. It was one of the most stressful days of my life. And um, <laughs> something you thought could be a bit of fun, get the product <laughs> out there, get the message. Suddenly you're like, <laughs> totally. anyway, like a year later, you know, kind of racing started in 2021, race started to come back. He went on to then win the 100 mile road championship, the USATF 100 mile road championship here, here in the US. Yeah. Again, it was another proof point of our racing product. So, but what about then skipping forward to Hayden Wild, who Honestly, if you want to listen to a great episode, oh, I am <laughs> such a fan of Hayden Wilder after having him on the show. I was a fan before, yeah. but... Um, he's a character. Not just a character, he's a good human being. He's yeah. a he's somebody that I'm like, okay, if I was in the trenches, I'd want to be in the trenches with Hayden Wilder. He's a good person. I really like that guy. And, he's- you know, with Hayden, like, so, so we had kind of an Ironman proof point and we had this 100-mile proof point and we then wanted to say, well is this valid for high intensity, mm-hmm. shorter duration? And um, it was just so happening that our marketing agency was in New Zealand. The guy that runs that was an Xterra world champion and he had a great long relationship with Hayden. He said, you've got to talk to Hayden. So we connected and this was, you know, Hayden hadn't started at Super League yet. Obviously, the Olympics hadn't happened. Oh, this is years, yeah, 2018 or something. Yeah. So this was like 2020, 2021, yeah. that kind of period. Yeah. So we, we, you know, said, hey, Hayden, we'll, we'll, we'll engage and, you know, we'll, we'll sponsor and we'll test. And we had him work with Dan in the labs and, um, you know, with his coach do some optimizations. But, you know, in that period of time, we had a, a two-year contract with Hayden that Super League – uh, Olympics and Xterra World Championship, um, just it was just a fa- and he actually helped us trans translate what was a racing drink product into a gel product. He was really the mm. the the guinea pig, you'd say, on how to actually translate this into a gel. And it's, it's fascinating. We actually created like a a powder product that you would mix with water to the concentration relative to your metabolism for your racing. So it was a very customized way to do a gel uh, product. Wow. Hayden uh, was really the middle of that. And what, what kind of improvements did you see when, when you were working with all of these athletes? I mean, you've worked with so many of the, the best of the best. How, what were you measuring and, and what yeah. kind of improvements were you seeing? Yeah, I mean, then this is the, the real ongoing relationship with Dan is both athletic testing in the labs, which was predominantly hooking up to a metabolic cart and really looking at substrate efficiency at different intensities and then running and biking efficiency. So we would effectively do a VO2 max and based on the exchange of you know carbon dioxide out and oxygen in, you can calculate fat and carbohydrate oxidation efficiency. And you would assume that because you're a pro athlete and because you're doing you know, 20, 30 hours a week, it would naturally be good. And we had athletes coming in without naming names that had, you know, a half a gram per minute of fat oxidation. And then through manipulation, we've turned that into 1.8 grams per minute of fat oxidation. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that, and, and this, and by the way, and that same period of changing that fat oxidation of improvement, we went from 165 watts on the bike to 300 watts on the bike. So, wow. and, and this is where, it actually starts really testing some of what has been, if you will, textbook literature on what should happen in metabolism at certain intensities. But through this manipulation, Dan's work, and we feel diet and our products that we can see these dramatic changes. And at the end of the day, what it means is 
I can burn fat for most of that race and preserve that glycogen to when it matters at the end. Mm. And if I am taking in, and they all absolutely still take in carbohydrate, but I don't need to take in anywhere as much to put me into high-risk GI distress cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the the mechanics of it work. Um, there is a, you know, Dan is such an expert. He looks at also, you know, you can still have athletes that may have good oxidation of fat and carbohydrate, and then they have, but they they, they burn a lot of both so they're in effect inefficient in that they take a lot of energy to deliver a certain amount of power on the bike or, or on the, or, on running. So he can also look at manipulation to how do you still deliver that intensity and performance yet at a lower substrate performance level? And that means you're improving the efficiency. So um, in the case of Matt Kerr, so he was an age grouper, 10 and a half hour Ironman. Mm-hmm. He just got his pro card at the end of last year. He placed fifth at Taupo for his first pro race up against Braden and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the team there. You know, he's now gone from a 10.30 to a sub 8.30. He won at Utah last year, the world championship age group in sub 8.30. He's running sub threes. And if you look at his splits, if you look at Dan's splits on that marathon leg, you know, there's not a lot of difference kilometer to kilometer through the whole 42 kilometers. That's amazing. Where you were know? you guys in 2012 when I did a couple of Ironmans when I turned 40? <laughs> my goodness, I was all over the place. I was spiking and then crashing and spiking and crashing. And I was like, oh my God, it was a hell of a time. But I, I, I was on your website earlier and, you know, you, you're very much about right fuel, right time. What, yeah. what, what do you mean by that when, you, when you've kind of got that yeah. plastered everywhere? The reason why I said earlier and Bob made this kind, of, um, this, this kind of comment about creating a training product first is because when we were all training and still to this day, we train different forms of training to exacerbate the adaption of the body um, to either strength or high intensity of VO2 max or threshold or lactate or aerobic capacity, uh, joint mobility, range of movement, like all of these things. And you do different things mm. um, to strain and, and trigger the body to adapt to those stresses. And at those different intensities between, say, zone two aerobic, and then you move up through, you know, if you were using the RPE scale, you go to, you know, zone two, zone three, zone four, and you get to zone four and five, the body is using very different substrates. And the type of fuel that it naturally uses is different at these different intensities. Hmm. So that's the, the right fuel side of it. Using the right fuel to really stress and test the body to build capability in these very different energy systems. In a zone two um, intensity I should be mostly burning fat, but I can train the body so that I can get into typically what for a lot of people would be zone four Mm. and still burning mostly fat. In fact, there was was a paper there just um, in January that was published because one of the, I would say the past 15 years suggestion of lower carb training is that you lose your top end. That's how I, that's how I felt when I was doing a little bit towards the end of my career in fairness. Like I kind of felt like, I could try do five, six hour bike rides in the mountains just on water and some electrolytes. But then the next day when I wanted to do hard three minute efforts, it was like the body's like, no, you're not going there. I was like, yeah, oh, I'm and this stuck. is there's two things here. One is um is this study that just came out was showing um they basically did a uh, they reversed two groups, et cetera, across low carb and high carb, but they ran them at eighty-five percent of VO2 max of uh, 800 repeats and mile, like really high intensity stuff. It's not mm. your classic fat testing uh, mm. protocol. And but what they were showing is under the protocol that they were advise, advising that they could still deliver the same performance levels as the high carb athletes, um, and that was at 85 percent of the VO2 max. Now. Part of this comes back to, and Dan talks about, you know, having the specific adaption to the target of the intensity of either the racing or the training that you're mm-hmm, doing. Mm-hmm. And we find a lot that, you know, there's no, there's a lot of aerobic work that always has to happen in, in endurance sport, but you can't take your foot off 
both training the intensity of the body in a physical sense, meaning, you know, interval work, tempo work, or what have you. At the same time, when you're doing that, the body is going to be using carbohydrates. So you have to, at that time, use carbohydrate. Hmm. And it's not about one or the other. It's about exploiting both. And when you do the math on this, you can see the magic happens when you really can exploit both energy systems at these different intensities. Yeah. Well said, by the way. I, I, I'm fascinated by all of it. Um, you, you've spoken a lot about training and racing. How much do you focus on sort of the daily lives? And if, if we have listeners there that are saying, well, I don't, you know, I'm not a high performance athlete. I, I, I train, I enjoy my, you know, my weekend race every so often, but it's more my day-to-day nutrition, my day-to-day meals. Do you look at that and, and combine that with training and racing? Yeah, the, the product development, like I said earlier, it started with training. We then naturally had to have a racing product, but we always believed that in time and ultimately the portfolio overall at S-Fuels will probably, the largest part of the portfolio will probably be in the day-to-day side. And mm. part of the belief of that, and actually we had, I think, a a point of view on this again before the science came out, but there was a group of researchers that looked at 434 athletes and their substrate lab data, and the most the two most determinant factors on improving fat oxidation was the number, the frequency of long duration sessions, so classic what we used to call LSD, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then the second was uh, diet and fueling. And particularly with diet and fueling was the fat, the fat versus carbohydrate content. So we we developed a number of products that were really trying to simplify, um, if you will, the everyday application of a higher fat, lower carb um, dietetic construct, whether that was a shake or pancakes or it was a recovery you know, drink or a caffeinated beverage or a you know, snackable bar. Um, it needs to be easy if the compliance is to be high, mm-hmm. right? And that's why we started building these products. Uh, we, we, we don't use any fructose, sugar alcohols, very selective. We actually developed a specific fat compound, um, and this is right through the products. You know, in endurance sports, you've been there yourself. I feel like at the finishing line, it's like every second or third person is talking about they had gut cramps and gut pain and, and, and bloated. And, and what are you looking at? Is that all due to carbohydrates and sugar or what, what's affecting the gut? And what, what do you use to help people ease their, their gut? It's not all the compounds. Like you, you're, you're talking about a situation. We wrote a we wrote a paper on this. In fact, it's the most downloaded paper on our website. It's called the Ultra Gut, and the paper basically talks about the environment that creates the number one reason for not finishing these races, and that is gut distress. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's coming out of all. That's not our literature. That's coming out of you know whether it's sports med research that happens at IML. You just got to be at a finishing line, mate. It doesn't take much. Right. It's like exactly. Every, exactly. It really is. So um, many. But, uh, you know, what, what, what they, the environment is, of course, is that firstly, you're shunting most of your blood supply away from the gut to the working muscles, point one. Point two is you're generally at a level, a state of dehydration, like a level of, gra- of gradual dehydration. And then thirdly, and this has been most prominent over the past, you know, 25 years, very high fructose coming into the diet during the race that is much higher than was used in training. And then the last one, which there is, um, I would say there is, uh, I don't think the science is complete on this because there's variance between how athletes react, but caffeine for some can be a causative factor. So when Mm. we say fructose, it's, you know, remember that 50% 50% of table sugar or sucrose is fructose. So uh, it's not just about discrete fructose in these products. But when you start seeing this idea of you know training the gut with sucrose and fructose in order to be able to take 90 to 150 grams of carbohydrates per hour, um, you kind of really start questioning, mm. hey, the, the reason why your gut is reacting is because it's basically saying that this is not what 
we should be taken into the body, this kind of concentration. Get it out, get it out, help. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because, you know, that's kind of like almost like a, what would you say, like a conceptual observation. But in studies, again, as uh, this one in, in January that got published where they were showing that in the high carb group, in only four weeks, there was evidence of 30% of the participants having what we would clinically call prediabetes. And that was wow. a resting blood glucose level of over 100 millimole um, because they were using uh, CGM, con- you know, constant monitoring of the blood sugar. And yeah. they were seeing that these athletes were mostly prediabetic on that type of uh, routine. So, you know, there is the real gut effect of taking just these very high doses. Um, and then there is the complication and more chronic situation of that. And remember that this is a lifestyle. This is not we do a race and we hang up the boots and we go. People love to do this until the day they've, they've finished. Yeah. You yeah. Know, they love this. Yeah. Do, so, you, do you look at electrolytes and mineral replacement? in your products as Absolutely, well? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, the training product and the racing product has got your classic spread of, of minerals. Um, yeah, so a- absolutely we do. Um, it's kind of funny because the train product, without just calling the product out itself, but if you just look at it from a caloric perspective, you'll probably look at it sideways and say, how the dickens will this thing fuel me? Because there's only like 50 calories in a serve. Well, that's exactly the type of fat we're using. And what we're trying to do is hydrate, give the electrolytes and give a fat that will trigger the enzymes to switch on to oxidize fat. Mm. So this is, when we say it's train, it's not trained in the spirit of it's just giving you the calories to train. It's trying to train the metabolism for you to burn fat better. I love that. I love that. Mate, you, you've educated me. I'm, I'm sitting here going... Should I make a comeback <laughs> now that I know I could fuel better? Um, and I'm, I'm just, that's absolute jest, everybody. I'm, I'm running maybe 5K a morning at the moment. And the idea of doing a whole lot more, I think would be brutal. But I, um, I love the idea of what you're doing. What have you got, you know, in store for the future? You mentioned that, you know, daily products, you've, you've done training, you're doing racing. Um, your website is full of useful information on how to use your products, when and where and What's next for you? I think there's still, uh, again, the science is still catching up to understand the role of nutrients to how it affects um, heart rate variability. I think if that is the proxy for really understanding Mm. how the body is recovering, uh, you know, parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system, uh, we know absolutely that there are nutrients that can um, throttle this one way or the other. If you take a lot of caffeine, it will further exacerbate the problem. Mm. Um, there are other, even again, uh, a lot of specific gut nutrients which are really breakthrough nutritional research going on to how that can uh, you know, impact HRV. I actually, we wrote this paper and I got a number of our ambassadors to test this for me to make sure that we weren't dreaming this up, but we, we got them to do a test of, Hey, do your, your standard training routine, but one night take alcohol and then the next two nights take chamomile tea and come back to us with your HRV data. <laughs> and we were just showing all of them. They self-realized themselves how a single drink of something that could negatively or positively affect HIV was very real. Wow. The other area that we think it's kind of, again, very much the case of sport and application is ahead of the understanding of science to what exactly is happening and how it's working. That's with respect to um, specific types of ketones, particularly the ester. And we know quite well, and the research is way more sound on the role of ketones for rapid muscle tissue recovery, like accelerated, like that's, you can connect the dots and reproduce the results quite effectively with that. When you see though, most of the Tour de France teams throwing out ketone ester bottles you know, halfway into a stage, you know, they know something that yet the science labs haven't, they haven't yet connected the dots. The fact they're all doing it um, would tell you that they, that, you know, they're the most tested endurance athletes in terms of sub segments of endurance sport. 
and they know something. And, uh, you know, we, we're very engaged into this discussion. Uh, we see in what it, what it can do in military applications. And, um, I think there's going to be just some awesome innovation opportunity between what's going on there and what we're doing in, um, in S fuels. Wow. So you've got, you've got a lot of expansion in mind here. I mean, you've, you've got the training, you've got the racing, you're starting to build out the daily diet, you're looking into nutrition for HRV, you're looking, researching, you know, how ketones can be implemented. It's a fascinating time to be in, in this kind of a, a marketplace. When you have incumbents that can really extract literally billions of dollars on a on a given model the the incentive to change is really challenging like it's yeah it's tough to innovate around that if it's going to affect that because it's whole companies and families that are running off the back of this so it's really hard to change so i think what's uh exciting for us is that we don't have that legacy we're not attached to that we can really innovate and adopt and embrace new ideas and some of them will work and some of them will crash yeah. and burn and that's okay. You can pivot quickly. You're small enough yeah. to pivot. And it's, yeah. you, you've read that book, I'm sure, is one of the world leading books is uh, Who Moved My Cheese? Do you know that one? Right, yeah. right. You know, right. it's that, it, it, exactly. it's exactly what you're talking about where that, that little one is stuck in the maze and they don't move. They just keep waiting for the cheese exactly. to come back. And, and the other one heads off and uh, changes and pivots quickly. And There's another book that was written by the founder of Intel called Only the Paranoid Survive. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's, that's what's going on right now in the nutrition industry. And if you're not paranoid, you better watch your back because new innovation is going to catch up. I love that, mate. Hey, a couple of quick questions before we let you go because you've been absolutely wonderful. But I'm, I'm always fascinated, you know, now where you are in your life. What would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could? Uh yeah, keep keep frontiering, stay curious, uh, use more sunblock, and um, and and marry the same girl. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a, that's very sweet. I love it. All right, and and then another favorite question I have is three people you'd want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead. I think uh, I you know I talk and you've 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 talked about frontiering. So for me, I would just love to sit down with Neil Armstrong and just talk about that time mm, um, mm. when he stepped off. I think from a principal's perspective and where she stood and the period of time she stood, I think Queen Elizabeth, I would love to have a dinner with her. Yeah. Um, and then I've always read a lot about Walt Disney and I had the fortune of visiting Bhutan and Disney tried to create the happiest place on earth and the fourth Bhutanese king, he actually throughout gross domestic profit in exchange for gross national happiness index. And I would love to bring them both together at dinner and say, what do you now think is, you know, the answer to happiness? Because these two had a real vision um, of what happiness is all about. I'd, I'd love to be in the middle of a debate with those two. What a great dinner. What a great yeah. dinner. I'm, I'm sitting here going, wow, you've actually thought this through. I really like that. Um, and uh, you're not uh, the Queen Elizabeth has been brought up numerous times. And, Is that right? Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I think you know it was one of those shows. I don't know if you watched the series The Crown, but I think yeah, that was fascinating in itself. Um, both my wife and I like, yeah, wouldn't mind it hanging out with her a bit just to know <laughs> yeah. that whole thing. <laughs> and the corgis. And the corgis. <laughs> and mate, where, where do you see yourself? You know, in S fuels in, in in three to five years time. You know, you've got a lot on your plate. What where, where do you envisage the company and and, and what are your hopes? Yeah, I um, I feel like we've had a, just a lot of blessing and, and Korea has been fantastic. The companies we've worked for and the countries we've been in, I, I feel like I've still got a lot more to give. Um, I, I just want to, you know, stay curious and passionate. I, I feel like that the market needs something like this. And yeah. honestly, if we are the rabbit that helps ultimately get something out there that fulfills the gap, we've done our job. If it's S feels awesome. If it's not we've still done our job because we need to move the market and mm. it's important. I love it, buddy. And have you got any racing coming up yourself, training, racing? Are you doing any, any events yeah. at the moment? Yeah. What are you up um, to? My son, so my youngest son has not done a marathon. He's 60, he hasn't done a marathon yet. And we're, we're going to uh, Switzerland. They have this, the UTMB now have this World Series and there's a race there that is in Switzerland that has about – 
3,000 meters of climbing, um, and it's the scenery is just magic, mm. right? So I've just told him, forget the concept of running. This is going to be a big day out. Yeah, yeah. And we're just going to lap it up and spend the day together. And Aww. we're doing a ton of training, but, you know, like, again, it's just, just that experience of doing it together. Oh, I love that. Whereabouts in Switzerland is that one? Um, it takes off, well, it actually takes off and finishes in Verbier, okay. um, which is just not far from Chamonix. Yeah, yeah. I know that whole area pretty well. I did a yeah. lot of training there for many years. All right. Yeah, huh. very. I did some, uh, I remember doing running races around that area, which were just 10K straight up. <laughs> I remember it's up and down. my coach uh-huh. at the time said, Greg, there's a 10K running race. Go down to the valley and sign up and do it tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I turned up and I went and looked at the map profile. I'm like, what? <laughs> just, and yeah, we're basically right. walking with our hands on our knees for most of it. And then <laughs> yeah, right. It was brutal. The scenery is magic, huh? Yeah. It's just such an experience. It's so great. So great. Yeah. Well, Leighton, mate, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your story, your journey, um, and obviously everything you're doing with S Fuels. I, I think it's wonderful. Um, it's obviously, you know, a lot of these things can be scary, but you've jumped in with two feet and you're giving it a really good crack. For everybody listening, please go check out S Fuels. You've got so much wonderful content there to learn from, but also people can shop and buy your product. And it's direct around the world or where do you ship to? Yeah, we have uh, direct everywhere in the world, but then um, Australia, New Zealand has distribution, Singapore has distribution. Okay. Where re- Because of the whole UK, EU situation, we're reevaluating how we do Europe mm-hmm. and then part of Bob and some of the team he's brought on with S Fuels, they're helping on national distribution here in the US in the context of like brick and mortar retail sports special. Great. Oh, congrats again, mate. Congrats on all of it. I'm I'm glad we got together here and had this really great chat. Um, oh, it's great to chat, Greg. Yeah. It's always, you know, you're one of those names where, again, you grow, you grow up and you hear and you watch and you look at the magazines, but you never get to meet. So it's a real buzz just to, just to meet. Yeah, this has been a real pleasure, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Everybody listening, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.